Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 9:30. And it's great to be with you. Another Thursday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Exodus. We are in chapter two. This is uh evening number three, right, in our study on the book of Exodus. Um, before we launch into this uh study for this evening, I did just want to continue to welcome all of you who are taking time. And if you're busy, schedule to tune in to Seeds of Truth here Thursday evening, or maybe you're listening to this by way of podcast and you have carved out some time in your very busy schedule. It is an honor that you are taking time uh, to listen to Seeds of Truth this Thursday evening that has us reflecting into the richness of the book of Exodus, especially those who are tuning in outside this area, outside this state, outside this country. Um, it really moves me, convicts me to make sure that I'm doing my part <laughs> so that we, we might better do our part together. All right, so it is Exodus chapter 2. You know, few stories in the Bible are more familiar to us than that of Moses, who is set afloat in the waters of the Nile and, and rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh. I think if I were to ask 100 people, what is your favorite story in the book of Exodus? If it is not the Ten Plagues, it probably has us going to chapter 2, and more specifically, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, when the Pharaoh's daughter pulls Moses from the water. You know, while some scholars want to poo-poo this as mere mythology, we ought to always be mindful, my friends, that the events of Exodus are historical reality. And a reality that points to a much deeper and richer narrative, the narrative of salvation history, right? Recall on the road to Emmaus, Jesus spoke as the one who was to fulfill all things in relationship to Moses. Jesus was a new Moses. Now, in the first chapter of the book of Exodus, we saw the hand of God providentially working to fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This he had done by bringing Joseph to Egypt and by their prospering and growth during the time of Pharaoh's favor. The numerical growth of Israel continued, even after the rise to power of a new king who established a policy of cruelty and oppression toward the Israelites. We talked about this last week. And as we did, we saw the faith of the Hebrew midwives evidenced in their determination to save the boy babies contrasted with the Pharaoh's fervent efforts to kill them. We hit the pause button there to really consider the greatness of the midwife's faith. In chapter 2, we find God's hand at work in the history of Israel once again, preserving the life of one child who will become Israel's deliverer. Now, in the classical interpretation of chapter 2, we have really three major uh, incidents portrayed in Moses' life. First, of course, in verses 1 to 10 is the birth of Moses and his divinely ordained deliverance, right? The deliverance of the deliverer, as it has been called. In verses 11 to 15, we have the second incident where we read Moses' attempt 
to deliver some of his Hebrew brethren from the oppression of an Egyptian slave master. And lastly, the third event is his help being offered the daughters of Reuel at the well, which led, of course, to his marriage and sojourn in Midian. In each of these incidents, my friends, there is a common thread showing Moses as a deliverer of the oppressed. And we will go back to each of these three. This evening, we are going to take up uh, the first incident. So it is in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we have the baby Hebrew emerging from the water, hence the name Moses. And remember, my friends, the previous chapter ended with the decree of Pharaoh to all his people, every boy that is born you must throw into the river, but let every girl live. This command is the backdrop for the first 10 verses of chapter 2, where Moses, a newborn Hebrew baby boy, is thrown into the Nile in a basket in token obedience to the Pharaoh and ultimately to be taken out of the river by none other than the Pharaoh's daughter. It may seem needless to say, but again, my friends, this account is portrayed as history. All right, let us go ahead and read verses 1 to 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds at the river's brink. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and lo, the babe was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, for she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Okay, I a whole lot to talk about here. So we are told that a particular Hebrew man of the tribe of Levi married a woman who was also of the same tribe. Later on in chapter 6, we learn that the man's name is none other than Amram, and the mother is uh, Jochebed. The fact that both the man and his wife are from the tribe of Levi is important, and certainly is a point that Moses wants us to view as significant. And I think this will be something we talk about down the road. Um, So to this couple, a child was born. Now, the mother is said to have sensed something special, right, about the child, which prompted her to hide him for three months. Verse 2 is rendered as, he was a goodly child. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 in the New Testament, Moses as a baby is described as beautiful or no ordinary child. Incidentally, and this is more of a caveat, but the renowned Jewish historian Josephus mentions a separate revelation of God to Amram concerning Moses' future greatness. No doubt, whatever way you look at it, 
they saw the vocation for this boy as something uh, instrumental to, to not only their lives, but also the lives of others. Uh, this verse and topic, for that matter, does, I think, raise a very important question, and a, a question I have um, been asked. Did Moses' parents save their child just because he was goodly, uh, beautiful, or however you want to translate special in the Hebrew? I mean, is it commendable to save a child simply because God has a, has a certain plan for it? I mean, let's be honest. Does not God have a special purpose for every child? Of course he does. The biblical perspective is that children come from who but none other than God, as Psalm 127 reminds us. And thus, every child is good in the eyes of God. Moses' parents looked upon uh, Moses as a boy and said he was goodly. So, what gives here? Well, let me first say this. Moses' parents refused to put their child to death because God had created him. And because this meant that this child, like every other child born, was good in God's eyes. But, but there is a tension here, no doubt. Something outside of us is at play here. What do I mean? Well, let's talk about St. Maximilian Kolbe here, if just for a minute. Many of us know his story. I have talked about it on more than one occasion. Father Maximilian Kolbe who was sent to the concentration camp, uh, Auschwitz, in 1941, died. Why? Because he gave his life for another man, Francis Gajovnicek. The word got around that Father Maximilian Kolbe gave his life for another man, Francis Gajovnicek. How do you think the people in that concentration camp reacted? Well, they did everything in their power to make sure that Francis Gajovnicek was saved because a priest gave his life over for this man. For one reason or another, not that no one life in Auschwitz was less or more important, but there was something about now the life of Francis Gajovnicek that needed to be shared with the world. And so it was. I mean, there's stories about Francis Gajovnicek being saved by inmates. Francis Gajovnicek tells the story that on one occasion, he was actually hidden underneath hundreds of other corpses. And people within that camp actually gave their lives to divert the SS soldiers' attention from those corpses. Not that Francis Gajovnicek was more important as a human being, per se because all life is equal. But he had a story to tell. And the people around him saw that as quintessential. Brothers and sisters, there is something going on in the story of Moses. And it points to the greatness of what God deigned to be. Right? And for reasons that maybe can't be fully explained or fully understood, while God sees every human being as equal, of course, we can draw from history that from time to time, yeah, for one reason or another, lives are spared. And Moses, in this case, his life was spared. Something to think about. Now, essentially, Moses' parents feared the God who created their son more than the Pharaoh who wished to kill him. Thus, they hid 
the little boy in their home for the first three months of his life. Keeping the boy child from being discovered eventually became impossible. So as we read, the time came when something different had to be done. The result was really a feigned uh, obedience, so really an insincere obedience to the letter of the law of Pharaoh. Moses was thrown into the Nile, but in a woven basket, which was sealed with um, a tar, would translate those verses. In verse 4, we read that the sister of Moses, Miriam, was tasked to stand at a distance to see what would happen to the child. To see what would happen to the child. I love that. Now, there are several pieces in these opening verses of chapter 2 that have us kind of going backward in the Bible and at the same time moving forward in the Bible. Uh, First, the backward. As the Ignatius commentary to the book of Exodus highlights, the Hebrew term for basket is the same Hebrew used for ark, the ark and Noah's ark. So a parallel between Moses and Noah is what? But implied, right? Think about it. Both float the waters, and they do so to safety in a vessel sealed with a pitch. And what's the consequence? Well, ultimately, they become saviors for their people. And Moses would have us thinking about this, of course, as the author to the book of Exodus. Second, there is a forward movement. What do I mean? Well, the sister's name who is watching the Hebrew child is Miriam, a derivative of Mary, of course. So here you have a woman whose name is Miriam going into Egypt to be sure that a young Hebrew male child escaped the wicked decree of a leader. And this woman, no less, is watching closely an ark. (laughs) Was not Mary herself an ark? Ark being that which holds the presence of God, right? And an ark no less that saved her child from the wicked decree of a king by going into Egypt. My friends, there are two flights into Egypt. (laughs) And these two flights are to be seen side by side. Mary, closely watching, not from a distance in this case, but in the deep, intimate conversation that she would hold with God as she herself was in ark of God, holding the presence of God. Mm. All right. Now, in the providence of God, Pharaoh's daughter arrived at the banks of the Nile. At the banks of the Nile to what but bathe? She saw the basket, sent one of her maids to fetch it, and discovered a Hebrew baby boy inside. And at this point, my friends, we should remember the order which the Pharaoh This woman's father had given to all of those in his kingdom, which would include, oh, by the way, his daughter. When we read, every boy that is born, you must throw into the river. So the Pharaoh's daughter came face to face, really, with the implications of her father's policy of genocide. Looking into that basket, she saw a Hebrew baby. There was no mistaking its identity, as we read in verse 6. The child was crying, perhaps already having been adversely affected by his period of exposure. Nevertheless, for the Pharaoh's daughter, this was a pathetic sight in the truest sense of the word, one that tugged at her heart, 
at the compassion and maternal instincts of this woman. My friends, what her father, the Pharaoh, had commanded was not only unthinkable, my friends, for, for the Pharaoh's daughter, but undoable. As it should be for us, by the way, what is unthinkable should be undoable. No doubt the Pharaoh's daughter was pondering what she would do with the child when Moses' sister arrived with the solution. How gracious of God to give this child back to his parents for a time and even to pay the mother wages for keeping him. And this would be just, you know, our speculation, my speculation here, but a few years or more during which they could enjoy their son with the protection of Pharaoh's daughter. (laughs) It's incredible to think about it that way. Now, depending on the age of Moses and the amount of ongoing contact his parents had with him, they must have had some opportunity to instruct him in the ways of the Lord. (laughs) Let us not forget, of course, however, that God's plan for the education of Moses did include years of instruction at the feet of pagan Egyptians. We are reminded of that, by the way, in the book of Acts, chapter 7. Certainly this greatly facilitated his future leadership. All right, so it is. When Moses was weaned, he was taken into the household of Pharaoh, where he became her son. And she named the boy Moses. Uh, Again, a name rooted in the event of her finding him as a baby, at which time she drew him out of the Nile. Again, the Hebrew verb for draw out uh, is moshi, as the Hebrew word there, moshi. Now, it's interesting. The original name is Egyptian. Um, for he who is born, Mose, that of course recalls Moses' adoption into, into the Pharaoh's uh, family. So I think here, just by way of etymology, if you will, there's an overlap of words, which I think signals God working providentially. So at this point, God gave the parents of Moses more than they ever thought possible, right? I mean, not only was their son spared and now protected by none other than Pharaoh's daughter, but they were allowed to keep him for a time, train him in the ways of their God, and then, in addition to all these blessings, they were paid for it. (laughs) It's just really remarkable. And my friends, I think there is a lesson here for all of us. I might suggest that we have a rebuke to our unbelief. I mean, think about the actions of Moses' parents. And look how they were rewarded. What a challenge to the limits of our faith. What a gracious God we serve. Why is it that we hear time and time again in the New Testament, the words of our Lord, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Well, because underneath faith lies what is at the heart of our relationship with God. Trust. Trust. We have underscored this point in many of our studies that the Hebrew word for faith is emunah. It best translates as just not faithfulness, but a faithfulness that is about a responsive listening, a firm response. This is what St. Paul is translating in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 16, verse 26. The obedience of faith, the obedience that springs from faith, because obedience is to listen, to respond. And when you believe not in just some abstract, impersonal, magnetic force, but the God who is love, you respond to that love with what but love? 
And that loving response is about a very real conversation, uh, conversation courtship with God. And all courtships are about the listen-response relationship. Faith, my friends, at its core, is about a listening and responding. That is the emunah. And you only respond if you trust. When you respond as you should, you trust. Okay? So here we have an exercise of faithfulness, one that is an echo of Abraham. Remember how we talked about this in our study in the book of Genesis. For those of you who joined me in that study, we spent a lot of time talking about how the narrative of Abraham is caught up in this faithfulness. But, but, let me say this too, and this is more than just a footnote. Abraham doubted, and certainly, as we will discover, there is uh, some doubt in this narrative as well. But this should be an encouragement. What do I mean? Well, we all doubt, right? We all doubt. I mean, (laughs) we are told in the New Testament in the letter to the Hebrews, that Abraham is our father in faith. And yet, he doubted a great, great deal. All throughout salvation history, minus Joseph, all of the great patriarchs doubted. To doubt is human. To call upon God in faith is extraordinary. And this is what we are called to, the extraordinary. Literally speaking, the extra ordinary, the super ordinary. And what is super ordinary is God. Super comes from the Latin supra. It means up, upward, above. God is above. He is the essence of what is super. He is the super ordinary. And we call upon God as the super ordinary in faith. Brothers and sisters, what am I getting at? Well, as St. Augustine would say, every sinner has a future because every saint has a past. And if you think you are not worthy of this or that because of your doubt, be encouraged. The great patriarchs of old doubted too. And those patriarchs include Abraham, Noah, and yeah, Moses, the figure we will be underscoring and talking about over the the coming months. Okay? So it is. Pharaoh's daughter refused to abide by her father's orders. And she did so by taking Moses out of the water. And then she takes a Hebrew child home with her as her son. And isn't the irony rich? Isn't the irony rich? Do you see it, my friends? In the place of the Pharaoh whose orders were throw them into the water, there is a Hebrew boy whose name means what? Taken from the water. Once again, Pharaoh's efforts to destroy the people of God have been turned inside out have been turned upside down so as to turn everything right side up. (laughs) And it results in the fulfillment of his promises concerning the blessing of his people, the blessing of Israel. And let this be our last lesson for this evening. We may think that all that is bad, in this case, this edict coming from the wicked Pharaoh, that all Hebrew male children should be thrown into into the Nile is the worst possible thing. And in the end, my friends, what we learn is that God writes straight with crooked lines. The crooked line in this case being the wicked decree. 
The straightening out is the taking of that wicked decree and again turning it inside out. Using that very decree against the one who issued the decree. The decree is throw them into the water. And salvation comes because one was taken from the water. And be assured, Moses wants us to see that. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. But before we do that, close with a word of prayer, I did, I did just want to bring your attention to, to what we are going to do every fourth week in our study on the book of Exodus next week as week number four. I'm going to be having Andrew Palmquist, the station manager, join me to kind of reflect into what we have been talking about. You have heard me say that dialogues are always more interesting than monologues, so you've been getting a lot of me. Um, I'm going to have the station manager come into the studio, and we're going to talk about the things that we have been, well, talking about. Okay? All right. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.